Okay. <clears throat> and I am Dustin Swarm. And, and my axe. Am... <laughs> and my axe. So I saw somebody point out recently that the only words spoken between Legolas and Frodo for that entire trilogy are, and my bow. <laughs> they just it. don't talk to each other other than that. <laughs> nice. I don't know if it's actually true. I wouldn't be surprised. He probably talks about him, but not to him. <laughs> hey, where's that weird little short guy we're supposed to be helping? Well, you know, what's his name? What? Uh, which one of them? There were a lot of them. <laughs> oh, I'm such a racist. <laughs> it's like a complete <laughs> fantasy Bechdel fail. Are there two <laughs> mythical sapient beings who talk to each other in the movie about something other than weaponry <laughs> or fealty? <laughs> or what? I was going to say, no, they talk about the, fealty. They talk about the ring, but the ring is a weapon, so that fails. <laughs> about something other than a weapon, a mystical object, or fealty. Welcome to Better Worlds, a podcast exploring geek culture across mediums. I'm Trevor. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dustin. Today, we are going to be talking about the movie Spider-Man Homecoming. But first, do we have any follow-up? I think you're first on the follow-up. Oh, okay. I have a quick correction from our last episode. We were talking about representation in movies, and at the end of that conversational thread, we started joking about representation of Trevor's and Matthew's and Dustin's. And I said that DC got to Trevor's first. And that is actually not true. There is a Trevor, a very important Trevor in Iron Man 3. And I wanted to give him his due. And which important Trevor is that? The Toast of Croydon. <laughs> Clearly Matthew remembers this better than me, which is not surprising. But he's played by, um, what's his face? Ben Kingsley? Yes. He's the actor who makes the Mandarin videos. And his name is Trevor? Yep. There's even an achievement in Lego Marvel that's something about Trevor related to that character. DC did Trevor better. What? I said DC did Trevor better. Um, I don't know. I kind of liked... Well, I mean, he was a terrible person by any measure. But I kind of liked, I don't know, maybe that's bad. Maybe maybe you're right. He was certainly a better person. But the one in Marvel, it was actually his first name and uh, Lego achievement. So, yeah, <laughs> that's hard to argue with. But you could say Captain Trevor about the one in DC. Yeah, I guess it's just uh, an embarrassment of riches for Trevors right now. <laughs> ben Kingsley is a better actor. Yes. <laughs> That sounds like a good final word on that topic. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Looks like it's time for Finland. Our Finn fact of this week is something that Trevor's going to love. I've got both Finnish trivia and sports trivia. 
all in one package. So Trevor's two favorite things. Finnish athletes have won more Summer Olympic medals per capita than any other nation, and Finland is only second to Norway for the number of Winter Olympic medals won per capita. I especially hate the Olympics. (laughs) It seems like per capita really works to their advantage in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yes. There are dozens of us. Dozens of us. I mean, it's what, three, four, five million people? It's somewhere in that. I thought you were going to say like three, four, five people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Let's see. Population of 5.4 million. I was right in there. Okay, so Finland had won in total 302 Summer Olympic medals, including 101 gold medals for a population of only 5.4 million. I'm now reading the whole section. This is an average of 55.9 medals, 8.7 gold medals per million people. And they have 28.8 winter Olympic medals per million people. Oh, I thought you were going to say that was how many they had over. Okay, I gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they give out point, like partial medals. Though I don't know much about the Olympics. I mean, I guess that goes, I've heard that in Nordic countries, especially, there's a great value, and I would understand this, there's a great value placed on getting out, enjoying nature. So you would probably have a population that is very adept at doing that in niche ways, which would lend itself towards various sports. Yeah. The next item I have is regarding the Star Wars The Last Jedi. Right? That's what it is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, The Star Wars The Last Jedi trailer. It's not called The Star Wars, but anyway. The trailer for Star Wars The Last Jedi. I saw it again in a movie I went to recently. Actually, I think it was Spider-Man Homecoming. And besides rolling my eyes through most of it because of the opening and our previous discussion of how I don't like it, I finally was able to pinpoint something that was that had been odd to me and it I don't know why it didn't connect but in this trailer the the lettering for Star Wars is red and I don't think I've seen that anywhere else and so I didn't know if you guys had any information on why it's red or if Star Wars movies have been marketed with any alternate colored lettering? Did we not talk about this before? We probably have, and I just didn't remember. Yeah, I'm, maybe it was on my list of things to possibly touch on, but then we didn't. Um, short answer, it's a really big question. Because I, there's been a lot of speculation about that. Sorry, I was not expecting <laughs> a question of this depth. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so you were just expecting something banal from me i thought it was going to be about the font or arabesh Hmm. i don't know what arabesh is is it the font um it's the language it's the oh the alphabet of basic okay so there 
there is a history of red letters in titles. First thing that comes to mind is Revenge of the Jedi used red lettering, but obviously that title got scrapped. I can't remember if it got used for Return of the Jedi at all, or if they ditched it when they ditched the revenge thing. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but I think it might've been used for revenge of the Sith. I'm reasonably confident of that, that they used red titles in some places. So the letters that are the lettering of star Wars was in red or the revenge of the Sith was in red. Both, both, but not, not at the beginning of the movie. I don't think, but in marketing, I see. Um, the titles of the Clone Wars cartoon have also had a fair amount of experimentation with the colors of the letters. Usually, and this is the actual titles at the beginning of each episode when it says the Clone Wars. They used red letters for the Sith-focused episodes. I'm using that somewhat broadly because um, I'm including like episodes about Darth Maul even after he's no longer technically a Sith or... Um, Asajj Ventress. I think when they had episodes focused on them, for instance, they would sometimes use red, I think. My memory's not super clear. I know that there was a lot of discussion of this after that trailer came out. Hmm. Um, But there has been red at various times and a lot of speculation about what that might mean. General consensus is that it's just part of the push to frame it as a darker movie. Hmm. They should call up DC producers for help on that. To make a darker movie? (laughs) Yeah. Please no. (laughs) So my other thought, can I follow? Are we finished with that thread? I was, yeah. Okay. My other thought was we had discussed how there was some uh, uncertainty as to what, whether Jedi in the, the last Jedi was singular or plural. Yes. I just had the thought. You could not hide that in Spanish, so I checked for what the Spanish title was. It's plural. Well done, Matthew. Interesting. What What is the word for for Jedi in Spanish? Jedi. It's okay. the 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 word the is going to be singular or plural in Spanish, and you're going right. to do the same thing with the adjective. So right. they were both plural. Interesting. Well done. I'm proud of you. Hooray. So that's easy enough to segue into a thing in the news is that in Doctor Who, periodically, for people who might not be super familiar with Doctor Who, um, the character Doctor Who regenerates and Basically, it's just they get a new actor to play the same character, but they regenerate and the personality changes somewhat and they're do it. They just use it again to work in the actor changing out. So they just announced that a new doc, the next Doctor Who is going to be um, Jodie Whittaker. It'll be the first time that a woman has played the role. So that's kind of interesting. But I don't have that much familiarity with Doctor Who and am running this by um, Trevor, who does have more familiarity with Doctor Who. I thought there was an in 
universe limit on how many times they could do the whole regeneration thing and bring in a new doctor. And I thought that was like 11 or 12 or something. And this will be the 13th doctor. So Trevor, why is the, why are they continuing with this? How did, why did they change the rules or how did they change the rules or whatever Uh, you want to answer there? Because they're still making money. Yeah, that's well, it's a short answer. (laughs) Um, in the thing how did they did they not actually ever say that have i misheard that was that just a fan theory i right. correct me i'm not an expert on doctor who but i always had the understanding that there was a limit of 12 that said the 12th doctor is actually the 13th incarnation of the doctor because there was a special in 2013 um uh, have both of you guys watched at least the early new Doctor Who stuff? Yes. I saw the first season and some change. Okay, so when they restarted the series in 2005, was it? That sounds right. They had this story of what had happened in between the old series and the new series. There was this time war and he had wiped out both the Time Lords and the Daleks. That's not really a spoiler um, because they talk about it really early in season one. Um, so they did a special in 2013 about the events of the Time War and the Doctor during those events was in between the Eighth Doctor and the Ninth Doctor. But he wasn't numbered because the Doctor kind of disowned that version of himself because he had a lot of self-doubt and regret after the time war. So the, the ninth doctor is actually the 10th incarnation and uh, same thing for everyone after that point, because there's one that's not numbered. So the 12th doctor is actually the 13th incarnation, meaning we're already past the limit. So they did this right as they were about to go into the 12th doctor's stuff. They had already picked out the 12th doctor and I believe announced it at that point. So everybody knew there was about to be a 12th doctor after Matt Smith. And then they did this special where they said, by the way, there was also another doctor before. So this 12th one is not really the 12th. So they kind of almost, preempted complaints about that by throwing in an extra incarnation right as they were already kind of coasting into the beginning of the 12th. Do they mean that 12 iterations or 12 regenerations? Um, That's a good question. I always thought it was 12 Um, regenerations. Maybe it was. So I guess that would mean that that would be ultimately 13 doctors if it's 12 regenerations. Either way, um, I think the bottom line is that they just decided they didn't like that rule anymore because, I mean, it would kind of stink to stop a franchise just because of a rule in world that had been arbitrarily set. So I don't know a lot about it beyond that. Yeah, unless they had a story reason for it. That was more my question. Was like it an important rule that they broke somehow? Was it ever actually explicitly said in there? But I don't know. It doesn't matter that much. I was just kind of curious. But anyway, it, it will be interesting to see 
how they tackle storylines given the gender change if that if they use it to i guess like they'd probably use it to poke where uk society is much more than any other society but still i think that would be they could do some interesting stuff with the gender change i kind of wonder if they should have done it sooner but that might be just because i don't like matt smith (laughs) it is a little it does feel like they could have done this a while ago I remember people theorizing that the that Peter Capaldi would okay so the 12th doctor which was uh chosen as Peter Capaldi would be a woman or a person of color. Yeah, it's definitely been discussed for a while at least by fans. I watched through the first season of Peter Capaldi and then decided I was weary of the storytelling. I really like Peter Capaldi as the doctor. Mm -hmm. I don't like the writing that's happening while he's there, which is kind of frustrating. Yeah. I didn't mind him. I I just was not thrilled with, and this was a trend that had been going on basically since Matt Smith became the doctor. I was less and less impressed with the, story arcs agreed and the first after the first season of peter capaldi it was kind of like the first edition of the marvel comics like we talked about last time we recorded people see that as a good jumping off point that was kind of where i was yeah nothing against him i liked him better than matt smith but okay i know a lot of people really didn't like him so that's the reason I mentioned it. Capaldi or Matt Smith? Capaldi. Most yeah. people seem to love Matt Smith and yeah. not like Peter Capaldi at all. And I was kind of the opposite. Same. I can't so, stand Matt Smith. The most important thing to me is that they sharpen up their writing. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if I necessarily care too much who's playing the doctor, because um my only request is that um I'd like to have a a more serious doctor. Like he can still be joyful and stuff, but I want to see a doctor who also carries some weight. I've just seen too many story arc, like, um, story arcs, I guess. I don't know. Main problems be wrapped up and resolved and then be reopened again. Like, getting rid of the Cybermen and oh, Cybermen are back and <laughs> yeah. we're going to destroy the, it's the end of the Daleks and oh, no, next season Daleks are back. I heard Peter Capaldi's left-handed. <laughs> Is he? <laughs> Speaking of, Look at that segue. Is he left-handed? <laughs> well, if he is, he would probably like all the people on Twitter that I saw be really excited by field notes uh, releasing a left-handed notebook, which is really just the same notebook that they always have, except the cover is printed in a different order and stapled on. So essentially, take your notebook, turn it upside down, and there you have a left-handed notebook. I'm not entirely sure how this is supposed to fix any problem for a left-handed person, because we still have the issue of English is a left to right 
written language. And so, yeah, I didn't know if you guys had any ideas on why having a book that essentially from the paradigm of books as they are now is being opened from the back cover to the front cover. How is that going to be better for a left-handed person? I think it's a marketing ploy. Are you left-handed? No, I'm not left-handed. Okay, because you said we still have a problem. Oh, yeah, I guess I did say that. What I meant is that there is still the problem that... Like, it, they can't... They're not fixing the English writing system with this quote-unquote left-handed notebook. All they're doing is... I don't know. They'll still need to find, like, ink that dries really fast and stuff. Yeah. Well, even... So, <laughs> when I'm using a notebook, I write on both sides of the page. Right. So, I, like... <laughs> Just the mechanics of like, am I writing on the side closest to me or am I writing on like what is essentially the, like the cover side? Like, I mean, when you open it up, there's like, there's the left half and the right half mm -hmm. and it's not any easier for me to write on the right half than on the left half. So I'm not sure why opening the book the other direction would help if I was left-handed. Exactly. And everyone that I saw on Twitter that was responding to this. We were like, thank you. Oh, I'm so happy. I've waited my whole life for this. And I'm thinking, what problem is this solving? I don't see any solution here. It's just a gimmick, but I didn't want to <laughs> tweet that because you just wanted to record it in audio and release it for the world to hear. <laughs> I just wanted to record it. And well, maybe I'm missing something. So that's why I wanted to ask you guys, but yeah. It feels like now is a good time to be thankful that we don't write booster feeding style, which is you go, let's just say, start left to right, you get to the end of the line, go down, next line is right to left, third line, left to right, fourth line, right to left. Which reminds me of it doesn't, having the notebook open backward from the paradigm of the way notebooks are right now. Writing English, left-handed, whatever, it doesn't really matter which hand you're using. It doesn't make sense because you're starting from the top left corner. You're going to the bottom right corner, and then you would have to be crossing back over what you wrote to flip the page and then go back to the top left corner. Whereas the paradigm of having the notebook open the way it is now, I guess, you start on the top left, you go to the bottom right, you turn the page and you start at the top left, you're not crossing over anything that you've written. And so, I don't know, it doesn't make any logical sense to me. Are you certain that the people who were excited were left-handed rather than people who use right-to-left languages? Well, they were all tweeting in English, and... That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Touché. <laughs> They were saying things like, finally, a notebook that gets me. And I don't know. It seemed like it was left-handed individuals who were rejoicing for a left-handed notebook who maybe didn't even look, watch the video that introduced it. I don't know. I, I still am just confused. I think people just like feeling like they their concerns are being marketed to, even if it is not all that different. Right.
in summary, there are now left-handed notebooks being made by field notes. We are deeply skeptical as to the benefits and we apologize to the sinister community for not understanding your struggles. I've tried to be very understanding. Like, I don't know. I understand that we are speaking out of a majority position, right-handed privilege and all, but I don't know. I was trying to be really diplomatic and then I called them the sinister community. (laughs) So I think that it might've backfired. (laughs) I would like to issue a second apology. I I heard that stated from a relative position of love. And if you, you took the time to know that the true origin of the word sinister was from social stigma attached to being left-handed and you were trying to recontext. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to reappropriate the term for them. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> to undermine the, help me out, Matthew. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> this is just, we maybe need to cut this. <laughs> I think you might be appropriating reappropriation. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Next subject. <laughs> Spider-Man. I think we're done. Are we done with follow? Yeah, we're done with follow-up. Follow yeah. Let's follow up. Okay. Well, you can find the notes for everything we talk about on this episode. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Matthew and I were both trying to click to check off the left-handed notebook section on Trello, <laughs> we just kept on doing it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to talk about the show notes, and then we're going to move into Spider-Man. Okay. If you want to see links for the things we talk about on this episode, you can find them at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 16. That brings us to our main topic, Spider-Man Homecoming. So we're going to start with some general impressions with no spoilers. We will sound the horn when it is time. Dustin, what did you think of this movie? I, I liked it pretty well. I am generally pretty happy to watch Spider-Man movies. I have fond memories of going to see the Spider-Man movies in the summers um, with my dad. We saw the very first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and I think the second one as well. But I'm not sure on that. It's been a while. So I, I don't know. I've just in general enjoyed watching Spider-Man movies and am maybe less critical of them than other people. Even though I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a huge Spider-Man fan. I like the movies pretty well, and I liked this one. That's the complete opposite of everything I expected you to say. Really? I thought you hated. I thought both of you hated Spider-Man. Mm, no. Don't worry. I'm here for you, Matthew. <laughs> I'm here for you, Matthew. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I don't mind Spider-Man. I've talked to you about trying to get a list of good comics to read of his, even though I haven't done anything to actually read those comics. I took that as your general open-mindedness and wanting to experience like things firsthand and develop judgments from that. 
Well, that too, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I liked it. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, it would probably be my mm, third favorite, maybe. I don't, I'm not going to honestly make an effort to compare two directly. Like, I would generally throw this one if i'm just dividing them into good and bad into the good and i don't know how i would rank it with the other two good ones yeah i'm listing it in kind of order of my enjoyment what it might be second which ones would you say are good matthew uh what i think dustin was saying the same thing the first two toby mcguire's spider-man and then spider-man 2 with toby mcguire okay there were I'm not sure if there was anything salvageable about three and there were (laughs) a couple of good things about the amazing ones that were heavily outweighed by everything else. And I am less critical of them than Matthew is like, I, I don't know. I see that there were silly things in some of them, but I, I wouldn't say that they were horrible movies that I didn't enjoy watching. You are not as invested in them being a faithful representation of a character you love. Right. And that's why I said at the beginning, I'm not as critical of them as other people. Like, it's just, I want to watch a superhero movie. This is a good superhero movie style. I don't know. You should probably say as full disclosure, I'm probably the most invested. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So I've never been hugely invested in Spider-Man the extent of my interest in him is probably also the fact that like Dustin, I saw those Tobey Maguire movies when I was fairly young. They were probably the first superhero movies that I saw. Um, and I enjoyed them. I wasn't obsessed with them or anything, but I enjoyed them. Um, so yeah, I, I remember seeing the Tobey Maguire ones I did not watch any of the Andrew Garfield ones. I remember walking by the big cardboard cutout advertising it in the theater. And that being the first time I was aware of it. And I pointed it out to Matthew and I said, Oh, they're making more Spider-Man movies kind of optimistically. And his response was not a positive one. (laughs) And he explained, he explained to me how the licensing was set up with Sony. So they were basically making the movies to maintain the movie rights. And that's why he was kind of uh, bearish on it, I guess. Yeah. Because they made them just for the sake of making a movie so that they could hold on to something they perceived as lucrative for same, same reason why they made a universally despised fantastic four reboot. Wait, which one was that fan four stick? <laughs> which is in no way related to four fast, four furious (laughs) (laughs) or the sequel (laughs) Tokyo doom. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, So even though you saw those movies, Matthew, I did not see them essentially out of respect for you. Uh, since I wasn't as invested in the character. Um, I saw them to give them a chance. (laughs) That makes sense. 
it makes sense for you to see them to give them a chance since you were invested. But since I was only kind of mildly interested in the character, I just avoided them. There would maybe be like one thing I would add, that I would like look up and say if I wanted you to see. Like I would dig up the. I, I like the way they did some of the fight scenes. That's like okay. The main like they got the way I think Spider Man would fight very well in that one. Okay. In one of them. All that said, I do like the character, and I was really excited for this movie. It didn't turn out, in my eyes, quite as good as I was hoping. See, I went in with, probably because of the fact that the last set was as it was, (laughs) I went in with very low, muted expectations. So if it performed to a satisfactory level i would have considered it successful and it exceeded my expectations from the mediocre level i was expecting it to be so my general impression is good but that's because i spent mental time preparing for it to be very bad potentially okay i would say it was yeah a step above satisfactory um it fits in well with the rest of the MCU. They're doing a good job maintaining all of that. There is one thing I'm not sure fits real well that I want to ask you guys about once we're into spoilers. But by and large, it fits in well. The tie-in with Iron Man mentoring him, I think, was a nice touch. I think I now have an idea about what you're going to say. Because it, yeah, anyway. So the one thing that really annoys me about all this is I've seen people on social media being really, really excited about this movie, which there's nothing wrong with that. But what's frustrating is that I feel like people are going to see this movie because it's Spider-Man and they're already on board with Spider-Man and it's funny. It's a good time. And they'll go out and tell everybody it was funny. It was a good time. Yay. Spider-Man. But bottom line, a lot of the things they like about this movie are also true about Ant-Man. I think that Ant-Man was a lot funnier than this movie. I think that Ant-Man was a lot more fun than this movie. And I think that Ant-Man was a lot better than this movie. And so it's frustrating to me that people who skipped Ant-Man are going to see Spider-Man. And it's based purely on they're not interested in Ant-Man. They are interested in Spider-Man. And so, yeah, that's not much to be done about that, I guess. But it's just frustrating to me that people are just kind of inherently going to list this one. They'll rank this one higher and a lot of times not even see Ant-Man just because they assume they don't care about it. I thought of a good metaphor for that, but it was actually sports related. So I didn't want to bring it up with you. (laughs) There might be people who would be interested. Just tell me who would be interested in going to see a New York Yankees game, but they wouldn't want to touch a Oakland A's game. Even if the teams were, even if there was like, there were better players on the Oakland A's, it's not the New York Yankees. So they don't care. Like if the A's were having a better year or something? Yeah, like if they just had players who in every way were top, bottom, better. They just, and it did, I can't think of a good example. There have been plenty of times in recent years where the Yankees have been terrible and there have been other less popular teams that have been doing well and people wouldn't care because it's not the Yankees because there are people who do that with baseball. 
probably it's a better example with maybe football with like the Packers because the Packers are universally <laughs> popular with lots of people. Anyway, I'm not. I'm stretching with that one. Take it away, Dustin. Or the Cowboys. So, <laughs> no more sports. Um, <laughs> now, if so, we were to extend it to hockey. To, to <laughs> summarize that, I enjoyed Spider-Man: Homecoming. I'm just frustrated that it's going to get more recognition than Ant-Man and say Doctor Strange simply because of which hero is featured, because I think the other two movies are actually better. Um, I focus more on Ant-Man because it's a more similar movie, but I also throw in Doctor Strange because I feel like that movie's underappreciated simply because people are not already invested in Doctor Strange. That's a fair point. If you liked Spider-Man and you haven't seen Ant-Man, please go watch Ant-Man because it's a really good movie that a lot of people ignored. That brings us to the spoiler section of the show. We're going to talk about plot details and other things that you might not want to hear if you have not seen Spider-Man Homecoming. So here we are. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, copyright, copyright. Okay. <laughs> I liked that. Do you hear the thunderstorm that's happening right behind me? No. Good. Nope. Spider-Man, Spider-Man is just six notes. <laughs> so we can use that, right? Isn't Yay. it seven notes? Yeah. <laughs> so Trevor, what did, what was something you liked about the movie? Um, I'm not going to say the humor because I feel like most of the best jokes were in the trailer. Sadly, I can cut that out. That was mean. <laughs> no, I, I, That's a fair I, point. I agreed the uh, like the part in the bank when he's fighting the guys that have the Avengers masks. That was funnier in the trailer. It was, yeah, they didn't actually yes. do it the same way. That was yeah. kind of weird. They, they had the, the, the alien tech was like distorting his voice. So you, you couldn't even hear the joke delivery. I didn't think he even said it. He said some of the stuff, but not all of it. Right. Like the line, the Hulk gives it away. I don't know if that was actually even there. I didn't even, yeah, get, if it was, it kind of got changed. Did you not find the, um, voice distortion interrogation funny? (laughs) That part was kind of funny. Um, yeah. So there were some good jokes, but that's not my main thing that I liked. I would say the part that I liked best was, Jeez, this storm is really picking up. I would say the part I liked best was the the whole section where they're at the Washington Monument. Mm. Both when they're going in and then the the action sequence around that. That was my favorite part of the movie. I liked that it, they showed him taking a long time to climb a very tall monument. Yes. <laughs> they didn't have any like magical, oh, he's where he needs to be now. <laughs> He's just like, he's still climbing. He's still climbing. And that they showed him grappling with how high he was. And that it's like, oh, this is uncomfortable because he doesn't... He has good balance and reflexes and everything, but he probably still would have natural human aversion to... Especially when he's young and not used to it. Like, he would be kind of nervous around being super high up. Right. And I think that's a lot of what I liked about it, how nervous he was doing it. And 
in some ways it seemed like a relatively simple task, but they still made him take a long time to walk up it and have trouble breaking through the glass and everything. And then, um, the cops come and are like, why are you climbing this monument? You need to get down. (laughs) Um, that's, uh, something that Spider-Man would definitely have to deal with. Cause I don't, I don't think they even realized what was going on. I think they just saw, uh, somebody's climbing the monument. We got to stop this. Well, that's not why they came with guns. Hmm. Why did they come then? I mean, there had been an explosion in the... That's a good point. Yeah, in a world where there's increasing numbers of super-powered vigilantes, you might have associated the colorful guy in a costume as the one who caused the explosion. Especially if he's not well-known. That's a good point. And they did have big guns. For a second, I thought that he was going to like get them to shoot at him and then jump out of the way, and that would be how he broke through the window but that would have kind of been a stretch. So I'm almost glad they didn't do that. Anyway, that was the part of the movie that I liked. So something that I liked from it, and this is again, kind of approaching it from a metal meta appreciation level, I guess, is that the sense of place and detail on Spider-Man was more lovingly done in that in the, in previous movies, they like it's mostly set in Manhattan. He runs around Manhattan and that can be fine. Um, but Spider-Man, the character is from Queens. He should feel and they like when you're reading stuff, he identifies very strongly with being from that part of New York, not the big, big city part. Um, and there were just lots of details. Like one of the things that Spider-Man is a Mets fan in the comics because he's from Queens. So that makes sense. In his room, he had a Mets poster up, which I liked that attention to detail. There's a whole sequence where he's running through Queens, and part of the ongoing joke is, like, how does Spider-Man get into the city? He can't web-swing because there's nothing high enough for him to really swing on when he's out in Queens. They basically had a scene where he dealt with that whole thing, like, he can't web-swing around very easily when he's out in a primary primarily residential area. So they they situated it in such a way with a better sense of at least some of the setting um, related to Spider-Man that I really appreciated as a, I don't know, just fan level, I guess. And it seemed like they never, they, those were all things that you might not, they never were, I guess they were trying to point out with the way they shot the movie, but they were, it felt a little more true to how some of the conceptualization of the character, especially if he's very young and still living with his aunt in her house in Queens should play out. The part where he's trying to get in from the suburbs made me think of your comments about the video game. Yeah, same. I'm trying to go like through a park with no buildings. The suburb scene was pretty, uh, that might've been my favorite overall scene. I, I liked whenever he got to the golf course and shot out his web and then realized he just needed to run across the golf course. And he said, this sucks or something like that. I, I laughed at that. That, that, did, wait, that, that did make me wonder something that I wanted to throw to Dustin as a question. Throw it. Do 15 year olds today 
know much about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Even not to, well, like, in the pat, like... The 15-year-olds that I would have been most likely to talk about movie references to would, yes, understand Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Okay. I had wondered about that in how he instantly recognized, like, one scene of it and was like, I love that movie. And I was like, would a 15-year-old be conversant with that? I don't know. I, yeah. I was just unsure if that I don't have my hand on the beating pulse of today's youth. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't either at this point, but I used to, it felt like someone really liked that movie growing up and wanted to throw it into this and just assumed that it would work. And then I was like, would that act? Cause like, otherwise they seem like they were trying to be very faithful to how a modern teen set in today would be anyway sorry that was diversion that's fine so i didn't have like one specific thing i wanted to talk about but they were like shorter things that i liked i liked that it was he was uh clearly more immature in this and i thought that the actor played that well um and i also really liked the new hero that they brought in uh vulture (laughs) um he was pretty cool i liked how he was stealing from the rich and trying to feed the poor (laughs) so um explain i wanted to so you did not misspeak you were saying he was the hero (laughs) so in the very opening iron man well that partly but the very opening scene um he's getting his construction crew they're going to salvage new york and just a bunch of good blue collar guys yeah he bought some more trucks for this job and then investing building up his small business some group of unknown suits come in and say you you can't do this anymore rich people and then he's like i gotta feed like i gotta take care of my guys and i just bought a bunch of trucks so i turned at that point after that scene i turned to the person i was watching it with and i was like so he's the good guy right (laughs) because he was very relatable i felt like he was the least sinister villain of any marvel movie that i've seen recently are you sure you're not just predisposed to like him because he was batman (laughs) i cannot deny that there might be some of that involved but no i i liked that uh I don't know. I felt like he was relatable. Also, the fact that he's playing the vulture is almost a nod to when he was doing the parody, the Birdman, which was a parody of Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) It all comes full circle. Well, I guess it's just continuing on an arc. I would agree, though, that he was fairly relatable for where he was as a villain, and they did a good job of showing that. The note I wanted to kind of actually piggyback on the thing I said earlier with some sense of not so much place detail, but a sense of appreciation for the character as uh, characters details. The very first villain that Spider-Man fought and is considered like where he learned how to fight is the vulture. Hmm. So the fact that they went with the vulture for this, I was like, Oh, that's a nice nod that they were trying to incorporate that. 
Speaking of nods, did you guys notice that Miles Morales was mentioned? No. Yes. I remember uh, earlier this week I was trying to think of who is the other Spider-Man that Trevor mentioned? Thanks for reminding me. So I had no idea while I was watching the movie. I figured this out when I was looking at the wiki later. I was I I was wondering about Miles Morales. For anybody who's wondering, he is the Spider-Man that comes after Peter Parker, right? In the Ultimate Universe, and then they collapse the Ultimate Universe into the regular universe. So okay, so he, he's another Spider-Man. He coexists with the regular Spider-Man, even though he initially took up the role when that Peter Parker in his universe died. So okay, you must so hate him. I saw just like three very small data points about how he originally became Spider-Man and it mentioned his uncle and it was just like his uncle lives in Queens. He's a small time criminal. He has sort of a loose association with the vulture. And I thought, Oh man, Troy from community is miles Morales's uncle. Isn't he? And I looked it up and it, he is in fact named as that character. The character in the regular universe is a kind of hero ish character called the prowler. And that even says that when they're looking at like his dossier or something, it says like something, the prowler. Yeah. So anyway, it's kind of cool that they brought that in. I don't know if they'll ever bring in miles Morales or not, but they've certainly set it up. It would be really confusing though, because he's, unless they do a later, he shouldn't be the same age as Peter is my main point. He's, um, I don't think he is though. I, he, all he said was my nephew lives in this neighborhood. No, they might be setting it up for like playing the long game as in like, yeah, he, he could be like three or five at the time. So he, I'm guessing he's like 10 or 12 years younger than Peter. So as another thing, one of the people on his, what was the academic team thing called? Let's just say academic team. Um, potentially could be, they added a character in recent years called Silk who I can hear the thunder now. It's getting pretty intense. Um, who got it, the way they just wrote this and got bitten by the same spider that bit Peter Parker. But then she was like kept in an underground bunker for 15 years or something. Um, and it sounds like based on what people were doing, looking at analyzing of names, they think that one of those people on his team might be that person, but it's not entirely confirmed. So they might've like put in bits for, several different potential spider people. That wouldn't make sense because he told his friend that the spider is dead. In the comic, he doesn't kill it. It just dies because it, I mean, it makes more sense when it's a radioactive spider, I guess, because it was going to die. Right. But what I'm saying is it wouldn't make sense for someone else to have been bitten before he killed it or it died if we want to be technical i'm not sure it makes sense in the comics either but they still did it (laughs) yeah so things that i didn't like i didn't not all of the jokes landed with me um and a lot of those jokes were whenever iron man was in the scene (laughs) like uh for instance i don't know some there must have been some kind of joke about the engagement ring because both Tony Stark and Pepper 
stared at Happy for a few seconds, like clearly waiting for the audience to laugh, but it was not funny. Um, And then the other thing... <sighs> yeah, I'll talk about this one. The other thing that I didn't like about the movie was Michelle. Is that her name? Yeah. Okay, so Michelle, a.k.a. MJ, was kind of annoying through... By the end of the, the movie, I was just annoyed with her character. I actually liked her character a lot. Yeah. Um, I said earlier, most of the best jokes were in the trailer. I felt like her stuff was perhaps the, the best stuff that hadn't been in the trailer was mostly around her, I thought. Hmm. But at the same time, it, I don't know. It None of it was like, <laughs> I don't know how to say what I'm saying. She was by no means an essential character. Yeah. So it's like if her character had been completely absent from the movie, nobody would have noticed. I mean, aside from the whole thing where they announced her being in it and everything, but um, if her character had never been put in the movie in the first place, I don't think it would have really made that much of a difference, but I did enjoy a lot of the jokes with her. To a degree, I appreciate the casting in that they were trying to pick someone that would specifically interest people from a different age demographic, because I did definitely see the sentiment when it was announced that Zendaya was in the movie that people were like, I don't care about Spider-Man sees Zendaya's in the movie. I will watch this 10 times. <laughs> I don't, un I mean, I am not familiar with the actress at all, but my thought was, Hey, if it's getting people interested in it, then that's good. But yeah, I mean, she had good, she did probably get some of the funniest lines throughout the movie in the group, uh, in the group interaction. Yeah. Um, I did want to point out something that I don't think either that. So the character Ned, who was Peter's best friend. Thanks. I couldn't remember his name is very much a different, like almost exactly the same, a, same as a character in the comics named Ganke Genki. I don't know how it's spelled. It's G A N K E. I was never, I just read it. Um, who is actually Miles Morales' best friend, not Peter's. So it's really weird to me that they stole Miles' best friend and made it, made him Peter's best friend. Like, they changed the name, but just the character was the same character otherwise. Like, even in how he dressed. That's interesting. Maybe this is the point where it's revealed that Peter Parker goes by Miles Morales with his friends. <laughs> I think they would... Uh, <laughs> They're doing an, that would be deeply upsetting to a lot of people. They're doing an, anima <laughs> an animated Miles Morales movie that I think is going to theaters in a year or two. So can can I jump back a couple of... Sure. We, we've... Okay. Um, Dustin's comment on The Ring. I want to ask Matthew, is that something they set up in the original Iron Man movie? I cannot remember at this point. Okay. I don't think they did because he said I've I've been carrying this since 2008. Is that when the original Iron Man movie came out? 2008. Yes. Yep. Oh man. So I I feel like maybe the joke was completely self-contained to that moment in this movie. I don't think it had been set up before. Anyway, 
And then Matthew's comment about this having more appeal for a younger demographic. I do appreciate that aspect. And I think it might be the reason for a lot of my personal ambivalence because it's not for me like a lot of other movies are. Um, so, you know, if I was 15, maybe I would like it more, I guess. Mm -hmm. He was, I was surprised that he wasn't, he didn't seem as strong or fast as I was used to or imagining him to be in my mind. But at the same time, he's what a sophomore in high school. So, yeah, I was wondering about that when he was stuck under the giant air conditioner, that didn't seem like it should have been quite as tough to get out of. Yeah. But he lifts his locker block easily. Yeah. So that actually dovetails into something I did not like was that. And I will try to find the particular panel for show notes. That was, I'm almost 100% certain, um, supposed to be an homage to a very famous moment in Spider-Man where he's pinned down underneath an incredibly heavy weight. There's actually like a, in the, if they were doing the thing shot for shot, there would have been a pole between his head and right arm um, with just like a huge, and it's like literally in this moment can like, he's thinking it's the heaviest thing I've ever had to pick up. It's more than he, then it's like canonically at that point established, like how much he can, he physically can lift. The thing in the movie was much smaller than this in the, and I th they were just trying to homage that shot and they spent a lot of time on it. And I understand why they tried to do it. I'm not sure if it was the, um, I'm not sure it was well done enough to merit having done it. If that makes sense. Like that's a very yeah. iconic shot. And I'm not sure if they, uh, they got his emotions being like utterly terrified at being in there. Well done. I just don't know if it, it felt like they did it because they wanted to have something classic to reference that they did out of obligation rather than necessarily thinking they could do it the best they could. If that all makes sense. Or maybe they thought this will make this scene better because it's linked to that part in the comics. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I see why they did it and it kind of can work, but it, I don't know. It could have been better yeah. in my mind. It was a surprisingly light. I don't know having never lifted an industrial air conditioner and <laughs> unable to do so, I'm sure it seemed relatively light compared to other things he had done in the movie. I don't know. <laughs> like holding the ferry together and everything. Well, struggling to. Yeah. Yeah. This conversation is reminding me of something I should have mentioned earlier. And I want to mention it just so that I'm not shortchanging the movie and making it sound like I, disliked it more than I actually did. I thought that the reveal with his date's dad was really well done. Yeah. And then that whole scene afterwards where he's just being like super awkward about it. That part was really funny. When they did that there, the way it was shot and the music they were using was supposed to have a very chilling effect. And it totally worked for me. Like I, I was like, feeling like oh man that just serious to everything like there was they hit with the appropriate gravita i would agree with you there i thought that was well done speaking of the music do you guys know who wrote the score bono 
That'd be good. He did do a musical. <laughs> he did the musical, yeah. Um, it was Michael Giacchino. Oh, okay. Who wrote the stuff for Rogue One. Nice. So, Matthew, you read it as Gravitas? I might. That might be the wrong term. Um, I read it as... I thought that scene was funny. I didn't think it was quite funny. In, unlike when they initially reveal it. Not so much him like doing the super overcompensating thing just the like him real like when he first sees like oh crap the guy i'm fighting is the father of like that i felt was supposed to feel heavy okay but i would agree with the thing that like after that his overcompensation was funny okay yeah the scene where like they're trying to get the photo of them and he's just staring at the dad the whole time it's like come on man you gotta play it cool yeah he was not good at that as Donald Glover pointed out, like you've got to get better at this. <laughs> you've got to get better at this part of the job. Okay, is it time for me to say what I disliked? Yes. What did you dislike? Okay, I actually don't have a specific complaint about the movie. Um, other than the fact that I happened to see it in IMAX and it was way too loud. <laughs> and the screen was not as big as I remembered IMAX screens being. Um, <laughs> that is not my complaint, but I will say I do not see the appeal of IMAX movies for theatrical stuff like this. My actual complaint has more to do with, um, things said by the actors about the movie, I guess. So when it was announced that Zendaya was going to be in the movie, there was a huge uproar because people assumed that she was going to be MJ. And a lot of people got really upset that MJ was not going to be white because that's just <laughs> what people get upset about these days. Um, and that's dumb. So what? And that's dumb. Yeah, it's, it's dumb. It's a stupid thing to get upset about. But then in an interview, when Zendaya was asked about this, she didn't say, that's a really stupid thing to be upset about. She said, and I quote, my character is 100% Michelle. That's her name. I promise you I'm not lying. She's definitely a different character. So like, why lie about it? Are they trying to argue that it's a, it's a different MJ? Or they were tr probably <laughs> trying to have it be a surprise. I think they want it to be a surprise, but by the same token, I think you could almost argue that she's not lying about it in that she is a different, like she's not MJ, MJ. She's almost just has the name MJ. Cause like character wise, she's not anything like Mary Jane. Yeah. So you could totally say she's Michelle. She's her own character who just happens to also have the name MJ. And will probably be, a significant love interest in the future yeah. and various other things that are analogous in such a way that she is in fact replacing the, <laughs> it's like people, people were upset about it. Cause they're like, Oh, that's not who MJ is. I, which again is kind of a dumb thing to be upset about that. You think that the ethnicity or whatever is, <sighs> I'm, I don't know how to say what I'm saying. So you think that she's saying that it is 
a significantly different character, even if the name is the same. I think that might have been what she was going for, or without... I mean, she probably had to walk a really tight Marvel PR line. Yeah. I feel like it would have made sense to say, one, that's a really stupid thing to be upset about, two, I'm playing a character named Michelle. But saying she's definitely a different character kind of crossed the line for me into intentionally misleading people. Like how J.J. Abrams said that it wasn't Khan? Exactly like that. (laughs) Exactly like J.J. Abrams saying, no, we're not doing a movie about Khan. Benedict Cumberbatch is not playing Khan. Wink. By the way, he's playing Khan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so the other thing, very much in the same vein, a few weeks before the movie came out, I saw people sharing this article like crazy and getting really excited about it. Headline, Tom Holland confirms that Peter Parker appeared in Iron Man 2. Basically, he did an interview and he told the people interviewing him that the little kid who wears an Iron Man mask and uh, appears for a few seconds in Iron Man 2, he told them that that was Peter Parker, a younger appearance of Peter Parker. And he told them that he had literally talked with Kevin Feige. I don't know how to say his name. He told them that he had talked with him 20 minutes before the interview and he wasn't sure if he was supposed to say anything, but he had confirmed that this was Peter Parker and everybody just ran with that, shared it like crazy. He got super excited that Peter Parker was in Iron Man too io9 the blog io9 is the only one that i've seen that had this little bit of information they asked him about it again after the interview they asked him to clarify and he said once again i quote it's funny i literally had a conversation with kevin like 20 minutes before the interview and he didn't confirm it i took it upon myself just because i thought it would be a good story and it's exploded so like again you had a conversation with Kevin. He didn't confirm it. And then you went and told people he did confirm it. And this is an incredibly inconsequential thing. It doesn't matter if that's Peter Parker, but people got really excited about it. And bottom line is Tom Holland was lying to fans because he thought it would be fun. And that's just annoying to me. It doesn't ruin the movie or anything. It just makes me kind of annoyed. That is kind of annoying. And that one is more clear cut. Like he was definitely just lying. I don't, I don't think there's another interpretation like with the Zendaya thing. Anyway, I'm not even complaining about the movie. I'm just complaining about how they talked about the movie before it came out. (laughs) Yeah. The having Peter Parker in Iron Man two cameo type thing, uh, reminds me of an article that I saw on Twitter today about how for anyone who has seen Star Trek for the one about the whales, there is a character on a bus that has a boom box and and Spock like pinches his neck and makes him pass out and everyone applauds because he was obnoxious. Apparently that same actor is in the scene where 
Spider-Man is sitting on the building and a hot dog vendor says, hey, do a flip or something like that. And the the guy with the boombox is standing beside him or something. And whoever was in charge of shooting this movie likes Star Trek four and liked that character and somehow arranged for him to be in the movie as that character. So now people are saying Star Trek four is in the same universe as the Marvel films. And that's just dumb in my opinion. If that's the conclusion, then it would be very easy to tie that into Star Wars and Star Trek being in the same universe. I'd like to hear that. Um, Marvel has made the Star Wars comics for a very long time. Um, I don't know if they ever actually did any crossover, but like even before Disney owned both of them, I don't know. It would be really tenuous, but so is this. So <laughs> there you go. I know Doctor Who has also had crossovers into Marvel stuff. So And Star Star Trek. And Matthew mentioned Star Wars stuff just kind of randomly appearing in some Infinity thing a few years ago. So I guess we now have official confirmation directly from the mouth of Kevin last name that Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, and Marvel are all exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Rejoice, nerds. I'm not Tom Holland, but I'm here to say that. So obviously we can now take it as truth because you said that even though you weren't the person who <laughs> had any authority <laughs> I, to say so whatsoever. I am 100% Trevor. I'm not Tom Holland. I'm not Zendaya. I have not spoken with Kevin. I have read several articles on the internet. And browsed through some wiki pages. And you share a name with the Mandarin. Yes. So I think that gives me the authority to make this proclamation. Yes. Hey, by that. Also, while we're at it, a fan theory I actually care about the bird in Iron Man 2 is Red Wing as a child. The Falcon's <laughs> telepathic bird. <laughs> who is a drone in the movies. <laughs> okay. But. <laughs> In Iron Man 2... He got a robot upgrade. Are, are we just going to leave this? Or are we going to really discuss this? <laughs> it's gold. It's Okay, I'm just going to leave it. Uh, Matthew, I have a question. Sure. And... What do you mean you're going to leave it? I'm not going to argue with you. Oh, did you have more to say, but you're not going to because you don't want yeah. it on the show? Yeah. No, I just don't want to argue with you. Okay. I want you to have this moment. I'll I'll just cut your argument. <laughs> just like piece together awkwardly like, I agree with you, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can do whatever you want if you want to transition. So, wasn't the bird a parrot of some sort? <laughs> <laughs> I've not watched Iron Man 2 a whole lot. I think it was something white. Yeah, and I think Dustin's... So like a cockatiel? Maybe. Well, you see, a Russian cockatiel is actually an American hawk, so it would... It was the snowy Russian cockatiel. <laughs> which is a bird of tra- a bird of prey that has been known to undergo <laughs> a robotic metamorphosis as it reaches maturity. And then uh, bond no, with... No, sorry, it's a cockatoo. 
A cockatiel is uh, different. You know, cockatoos, cockatiels. This is just like Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg. They're the same thing. <laughs> Give it Dang up. It, it's not even a cockatoo. What is this bird? Oh, wait, hold on. My yes, board. Cockatoo is the. <laughs> that is literally the one part of Iron Man 2 that I like. Sulfur crested cockatoo. Why does the Wikipedia image look different? Are you on the Marvel Wiki? No, I'm just <laughs> looking on DuckDuckGo, the first picture that pops up. This is the most discussion that Iron Man 2 has ever merited. <laughs> the bird is the most important part. No argument here. Oh, I like that they make Rhodey into War Machine at that point. I guess that's important. Please no one ever let Whiplash find out that we didn't know what kind of bird it was. Is he alive? Um, Maybe not, but he's pretty focused on revenge, so I wouldn't risk it. <laughs> it is a sulfur here i'm i'm linking a picture it is a cockatoo that's a terrible picture he's standing in the corner of the cage i can't even see its face it is definitely not <laughs> it's not it's not a hawk or a falcon i told you the russian snowy parrot has been known to undergo a robotic metamorphosis as it reaches maturity <laughs> Oh, man. Dustin, can you find a better picture that actually shows the bird's face? <laughs> you can see the yellow crest on it. It's a white bird in a cage. It's clearly a sulfur-crested cockatiel. Cockatoo. Dang it. <laughs> it's clearly a Russian snowy parrot. Okay, you show me a Wikipedia article talking about a Russian snowy parrot, and I will be convinced. Give me some typing time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have some another topic, Dustin, before you began arguing with me about the bird? Yes. I wanted to know, it seemed like calling the AI Karen was a reference, but I couldn't place it. So who is Karen? I don't... Um, in SpongeBob, Karen is Plankton's computer wife. <laughs> I almost just closed the, the window. Out of rage. <laughs> I'll take that as a no. What? It's not a reference to anything. Okay. Um, do you know who they had voicing? The Who was voicing Karen? No. No. Jennifer Connelly, who is married to Paul Bettany in real life. Paul Bettany does the voice of Jarvis. Oh, that makes so sense. So they just did that. Um, this was not the same voice as Friday, was it? No. I didn't think so. So there's no Karen in Spider-Man comics, or he doesn't call someone Karen or anything like there's that? There's a Karen in Daredevil. Okay, I'm asking about Spider-Man. They both wear red. To, I am. to my knowledge, there <laughs> isn't a Karen, a very prominent Karen. Okay. They both live in cities. They're both based on animals. Trevor, regarding your request to find a better picture of his bird it would appear that nobody other than you cares about his bird <laughs> i spent like an hour looking for pictures of this bird and so, when so there was the story about the kid in iron man 2 and i couldn't find anything so what you're saying is you want his board <laughs> this is so much more than it deserves <laughs>
if I could purchase on iTunes a clip of just the scenes that either have the bird or where the bird is discussed, I would buy that version of the movie on iTunes. <laughs> they would sell one copy. <laughs> <laughs> but they would definitely make $5. <laughs> it costs oh, $80,000 to edit. <laughs> <laughs> I have one other question for Matthew. The timeline of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe has been thrown out of balance thanks to this movie, and that should have been my thing I hated. Okay. It, yeah, I am now in utter confusion because it work. we have been told it, that there are eight years between the events of this movie and right after the Battle of New York, as shown in Marvel's The Avengers 2012. And then in Civil War, Vision, it when Civil War was happening, which made sense when the year Civil War came out, he said, it's been eight years since you became Iron Man. That came out in 2016. Iron Man came out in 2008. They were just before making it. The movie happened the same year that it came out. But now I don't know what they're doing. This I hated that part because it's like that. Oh, wait. So, okay. And that would have been concurrent with the beginning of the eight years later section, right? I guess that's because it said eight years later and it cut to the part where like he is helping Iron Man out. But they said they made it look like that was the future. Like, I can't remember if it said 2018 or not, or if it said 2010. It made it sound like that movie was happening in 2018. Which I just don't like whatever they were. (sighs) Well, see, that's what I'm saying. So Civil War, Vision says it's been eight years since Iron Man. 2008 to 2016. That makes sense. Right. But then this movie said that the eight years was post battle of New York from the Avengers to also civil war. Right. Cause that, that eight years later portion begins with the events of civil war. Doesn't it? And see, that's just where it is super confusing because everything I had heard was that that was 2012. And now it's like set that that was 2010. Well, now it seems like they're requiring that the Battle of New York happened the same year that he became Iron Man. No, it would be like 2010 in that timeline. Right? It's not 2018, though. The eight years later still begins with Civil War. The same time that Vision said eight years ago you became Iron Man. See, this is because it doesn't most of the movie happens after Civil War, but the eight years later portion of the movie begins with the events of Civil War. Yeah. So it I don't think there's any way to reconcile. I don't know why they did it. They didn't need to do the timeline thing. And the fact that they did it has screwed everything up. All they had to do was put a different number in front of years later. (laughs) They didn't even need a I think they could have done it without saying this was a bunch of years later. They could have just said after the battle of New York or something and everyone who's invested who cared would know about it. Like, I, I don't understand why they, it's been perfectly sensible up to this point, And then they threw in a bunch of stuff with all these years and now it doesn't make any sense. Rogue one did not say how many years later it was just for the record. <laughs> I mentioned that only to say, 
both of these universes, the Star Wars universe and the Marvel universe, there's a tremendous task of like managing the continuity. And I guess there's a lot of room to make mistakes. So that does remind me of another mistake that crop. Uh, but in, in Rogue One, they do know what years those different things happen. So they could have done it, I guess. But I also know they're pretty intentional about not painting themselves into corners. So there are times that somebody says, well, like, why don't you do a story about this? And they say, well, that would force us to lock down details about something that we're not ready to lock down. Mm. We want to leave this part open. So, um, in winter soldier, when they corner some Hydra guy and he says, I'm, there's all these new threats popping up. He lists Stephen strange as one of them. If that's happening, when it happens, it's in 2014, Stephen Strange is still a neurophysician at that point who has can't possibly be regarded as a threat because he doesn't go through his whole thing until late 2016. I feel like this the Lucasfilm team is used to managing a very large universe and trying to make it all fit. Although, yes, there were plenty of things constructed outside of that that made their job difficult. I feel like the Marvel people are more used to a mindset where they're constantly retconning things. Yep. <laughs> so they might just not be as careful about this kind of stuff, I guess. Because they're kind of used to writing things over, aren't they? Um, To a degree, yeah, whenever they want to deal with something. So I, I think they're just going to try to have to get Jack Harkness to slip retcon into the water supply. Yeah. <laughs> he does enjoy doing that. Like the time he did that with that whole wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, I mean, I feel like after 30 or 40 movies, they're just going to suddenly say, by the way, everyone's a lizard person the whole time. And doesn't that kind of thing happen? Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Don't they just occasionally declare, like, by the way, the past 50 years, everybody's been a lizard person? No. No? Never happened? (laughs) Maybe my idea of comics is just wildly inaccurate. Is that, would that have made you more interested in Marvel comics if that was No, that's why I'm just like, I don't know how to get into comics. I don't know when people were lizard people or when people were robots or when people were aliens. I just don't know. Spider-Man hates clones because he has to deal with so many clones all the time. Don't we all? <laughs> It'll like literally- I formulated my response before I heard the because he has to deal with them all the time. <laughs> I mean, it literally causes him to like just start swearing randomly if like clones come up at all because he's had a a ton of bad stuff with clones. Speaking of saying a certain thing all the time, can you explain to me the crazy town banana pants phenomenon? <laughs> I know because that was after I stopped reading. Okay. All I know is that I think he used that phrase once and then people photoshopped it into a bunch of older stories to make it look like he's always been saying that. Because Dan Slott is a terrible writer and he has a death grip on Spider-Man as a storyteller. He's literally been writing it for the past 10 years now. That's almost a record in comics for how long people write things. And Dan Slott decided to have him say that for something as best I can tell. Okay. And I dislike him strongly. (laughs) Is that a good place to end? Oh, yes.
Okay. Well, who do you hate? Oh, I hate lots of uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I hate lots of people. <laughs> uh, there are several comic creators I dislike. My number one dislike is Joe Quesada because he's the reason that he was like, oh, people can't relate to a married Spider-Man. So we just come up with a stupid reason to dissolve Mary Jane and Spider-Man's marriage. Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> and then Dan Slott was the guy who's been writing it since then. Like, since that event in time. Okay. Yeah. And I never fully understood your pain at that reset until all of the Star Wars EU was thrown out. But I don't even have a convenient name for that like you do with One More Day. What's your convenient name? One More Day. Oh, okay. Because that's the story they reset. I see. But with Star Wars, it's like it wasn't even a story. It was a press conference where they told me to buy three different books. It's like... <laughs> Everything you know and love is going away. Buy these. Buy all our playsets and toys. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a marketing thing? That's from Homestar Runner. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> from the Blue Laser series. Cheat Commandos. Cheat Commando. Yeah. Blue Laser and the Cheat Commandos. Okay. Well, that wraps up our Spider-Man Homecoming discussion. You can find the show notes for this episode at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 16. You can find us on Twitter at betterworldsnet, and you can email us at feedback at betterworlds.net. We also have a Slack group with ongoing discussion. If you want to join that, just send us an email and we will send you an invitation for that. This episode is brought to you by Audible purveyor of fine audiobooks. If you enjoy listening to podcasts and reading books, then I think you would like audiobooks. And Audible has over 15,000 dozen of them <laughs> for you to enjoy. <laughs> you can get an audiobook completely free along with a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash betterworlds. Thanks for listening. Go then. Superheroes Kitchen Guide. <laughs> My spider sense tells me something <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> I've never seen that picture before, and I kind of love, like, there's literal flames. He should be able to, like, feel the back of his costume burning off, and he needs... Smell the smoke. <laughs> he needs his spider sense to tell him that some... <laughs> He's too busy weaving a web of culinary delights. <laughs> Wait, this is for real. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Do's and don'ts. I'm going to print this out and put it in my kitchen. <laughs> I need this. <laughs> Never mind. That lady's saying to clean up. I hate cleaning up. I think that's Mary Jane. That's for the kids. She's white. That's not Mary Jane. <laughs> and next you're going to tell me that's not Captain Marvel because it's a man. That's... I wouldn't have realized that's Captain Marvel. I'm not sure why he's in the cooking PSA thing. Because he's flying towards safety. <laughs> the general posture he's in is really odd. He's directing safety tra traffic. He looks like he's doing a magic trick. Yeah. Always strike a match away from you. He's demonstrating how to strike a match. <laughs>
away. And yet it's sparking right near his body. <laughs> he's, I didn't say he's doing it well. 